0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the day of Pentecost, June 5th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at FaithLutheran-AFLC.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for Pentecost. The sermon text is taken from John chapter 14 verses 23 through 31. Can be found in your pew Bible on page 1676 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, John chapter 14 verses 23 through 31. Jesus answered him. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Pentecost Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year, if only because I have a built-in excuse to talk about how the work of the Holy Spirit is not done through random circumstances and spontaneous generation. With that in mind, though, we have to turn back to the Gospel to see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, at first glance, it would appear that Jesus is being manipulative. In fact, it would appear that Jesus is being manipulative along the lines of a, a classic 40s or 50s romantic comedy. If you loved me, if you really loved me, then you'll do this for me. But I think maybe it only seems like that because we've heard it preached like that before. But Jesus here is not manipulating us into moral behavior. He's already told us at several points in the gospel that God wants us to obey him. And God's Word communicates to us several times the consequences of disobedience. That's what sin is. The entire purpose of Jesus showing up is to take care of our sin because we can't take care of it ourselves. We're utterly helpless to improve our sinful condition before God. So if Jesus isn't manipulating us by a guilt trip into more and greater obedience... What is he doing in the gospel lesson? Just as we heard last week, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, for his ascension. But more than that, on Pentecost, Jesus is preparing the church to be the church. And by doing so, is preparing us for the work of the Holy Spirit, because the church can't be the church without the Holy Spirit. Jesus' sermon here in John 14 this morning then teaches us that the Holy Spirit is primarily concerned about delivering to the church three things. So first, the Holy Spirit delivers the word of God. Now let's go back to Jesus' opening statement. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. That's the main premise of Jesus' teaching. But what does he mean? I would suggest that for us to really understand it in our English American contexts, we need to modify the translation we have in our Bibles slightly. The word keep is a fine translation. But as I mentioned earlier, it immediately drops most of us into the context of moral obedience. We keep God's commandments. That's what most of us automatically think. At least, that's what I think. Except that here, we're not just talking about Jesus' commandments. We're not exclusively in the realm of the law. Jesus wants us to consider his whole word. And that's why the better translation for us is not keep, but guard. Listen to the nuance here. If anyone loves me, he will guard my word. Whoever does not love me does not guard my word. Now, there's two reasons I'm going to argue for this. First, the word Jesus here... The word that Jesus uses here is the exact same word he uses in the Great Commission. So listen to this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, in the English Standard Version here uses the word to observe. That's the same word here. All that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus' intent in the Great Commission is to teach his disciples how to make disciples. The whole point of the Great Commission is make disciples, and you do this by going and by baptizing and by teaching God's word. Now, what we know about the Great Commission is that there's much more to making disciples, there's much more to being disciples than moral obedience, although morality is certainly A part of the Christian worldview. The point to being a disciple is that we are taught to hold God's Word dearly, to guard it, to protect it, to cherish it. That leads us to the second reason I'm going to advocate for the word guard. It is the prescribed role of the Holy Spirit to help us do this. Jesus continues to teach But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus sends his church, the Holy Spirit, not to guide and direct us by spontaneous, unpredicted promptings and not to specifically or exclusively maybe help us be more moral. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit to deliver and guard his word. You either cling to God's word and guard it dearly as a disciple, or you disregard the word, which is a reflection of your love, or lack thereof, of Jesus and all that he has said and done. The Holy Spirit delivers the word of God And in delivering the word of God, we get the second purpose of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit delivers peace. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, again, the church runs into trouble here, because for most of us, peace is this sort of abstract, philosophical concept. If if we use material definitions for the concept of peace, all it means is absence of conflict. right? Right now, geopolitically speaking, America is at peace. Ukraine, however, is not at peace. There's conflict. And the problem with that conception of peace is that it, it perpetuates the philosophy that everyone getting along all the time is the only purpose of the church. And so we deny everything for the purpose of just being nice. So that's one abstract definition of peace. The other one is this sort of concept of inner peace, of, of inner harmony, about feeling good about oneself. And that's very Eastern, New Agey kind of weird. That's not what peace means here. The peace Jesus is talking about is peace with God and peace from God and peace that is delivered in God's word, because God's word declares what God has done for us in Jesus, but then the missing piece of the puzzle that the church kind of ignores is that the Holy Spirit delivers that peace. That's why the Holy Spirit in Scripture over and over and over again is called the Comforter to deliver God's peace. And so if we rewind just a few minutes, this is why the Christian life and the Christian interaction with the Word of God must be more than simple moral obedience. Because the byproduct of God's Word and the byproduct of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is peace. What this does then is it lets us revisit, if only briefly, the topic of our sin. Our sin is a problem Precisely because we aren't obedient to God's word. And we have three potential responses to the reality of our sin. And we see this all over the place in the world today. Not just in Christian circles, but maybe I would say especially in Christian circles. First, our first response is that we deny that we're sinful by changing God's word. Just look at the world around us and pick a thing that is no longer regarded as sinful and you'll know exactly what I mean. Whether that's some concept of morality or behavior or or immorality or whatever the case, humans are especially good at moving the boundaries. I feel God might condemn me for something. Oh, look. God doesn't have a problem with it anymore. That's what we do with our sin. The second response we might have to our sin is to minimize the effect of our disobedience by doing it in grades. Sure, I sinned here, but I'm not that guy who sinned over here. There's there's a biblical precedent for this also. Jesus in Luke 19 teaches about the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Now, now, what we commonly mistake about the Pharisee is that he doesn't think he's a sinner at all. And it might be the case, but the Pharisee's prayer is, Lord, I I thank you that I'm not like other people. I do all of these things, and I'm certainly better than this tax collector over here. That's what we do when we come face to face with our sin. I might be a sinner, but I'm not that bad of a sinner. I do a pretty good job. In fact, maybe the uninformed Christian life is simply one of Christians trying to get a D-plus from God. Maybe we're not shooting for A minus, but in the world of academia, D's get degrees. And so Christians adopt that. You're not failing at a D plus, you're just trying your best, right? So we minimize our sin. The third option that the word of God leaves us is to confess our sin. To acknowledge before God that we're sinful and to cry out for mercy. To cry out for his grace and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in because it's his job to deliver peace it's his job to deliver the truth of what Jesus has done for us and that's the entire point of God's word The entirety of God's word is to communicate not only the reality of our need for redemption by pointing out to us our sins and our failures, but also and especially the reality of Jesus' completed work of redemption. If all we are left with is the law, we can't have peace because we fall short, because we're sinners. Because we're disobedient. But Jesus here promises and sends the Holy Spirit to remind us time and time and time again that he was successful. That he died for our sins. That he rose again to give us victory over sin, death, and the devil. The Holy Spirit delivers God's peace because he delivers God's word. And so then finally, the Holy Spirit delivers God's will. Listen to these last words of Jesus from our gospel lesson. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus' closing statement can be difficult for us to wrap our brains around. If the world, if the ruler of this world, Satan, is coming, why would Jesus leave his disciples on their own? Jesus can do that, and Jesus can do that confidently because the ruler of this world is no longer a threat. And this is all according to God the Father's plan. It was God's plan all along to send Jesus as your Savior. He knows about your sins. It's one of the perks of being the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe. He knows everything. And he knows that Satan uses your sins against you. And so, as Romans tells us, at the height of your disobedience, at the height of your sinfulness... God sent his son to die in your place. now Satan is a defeated foe. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to remind you about that reality. And since Satan is a defeated foe, we hear the words of Jesus. I do as the Father has commanded me. Because of Jesus' completed work of redemption the law is no longer a threat to us. The law can no longer condemn us for our sins because Jesus has satisfied the law in our place. So the law might identify, you are an idolater. and In fact, you are an idolater. But our response is, Jesus died in my place and Jesus was not an idolater in my place. The law might identify you as a thief. You stole. And you acknowledge to God, I have stolen. But Jesus paid the price for that sin. And Jesus was not a thief in your place. The law has been satisfied. But the law still stands because the law is God's will. But that's what it is for us The law stands for us as a reflection of God's will. God wants us to be holy. God tells us how to be holy according to the law, and the law is a reflection of who God is and what God has done for us. And what all of this amounts to for you and for me is that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit from God himself to help you be a Christian. The Holy Spirit helps us to guard God's Word, to know it and to cherish it and to cling to it. The Holy Spirit delivers God's peace. The primary message of God's Word is the message that we are reconciled to God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We do not fear any condemnation because Jesus was condemned in our place. And we receive peace because God has adopted us as his dear children. And then the Holy Spirit to the church delivers God's will. He reminds us that Satan is a defeated foe because it was God's will to send Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus completed that work. He reminds us that the law no longer condemns us, but guides us in how God would have us live as his children. And what this means is that this Pentecost and every Pentecost, we as Christians, along with Christians all over the world, rejoice. We rejoice that Jesus has sent us his Spirit. We rejoice that the Spirit works so consistently and so faithfully And we rejoice that the Spirit doesn't operate through manipulation, that the Spirit doesn't guilt trip us into being better, that the Spirit doesn't operate through random, undirected and spontaneous action. The Spirit operates consistently with who God is, with what God has done, and with what God has told us about what He has done. And in that, you have peace. Everlasting, eternal, perfect peace because of Jesus. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.